Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices that we take for granted are out of date, illogical, or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room, and I'm here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a couple of F-bombs thrown in for good measure. Pilates Elephants is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher who really fucking knows your stuff. Hey, Pilates Elephantites. Great to be with you again. I just need to give you a trigger warning that uh, we're going to talk about diet culture in Pilates today. And uh, so if you're going to be triggered by uh, conversations about uh, body image and eating disorders, uh, maybe give this one a miss. Having said that, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'm here with Jade Ritchie. Jade, welcome. Hey, Raph. Um, I just have to say that every time you played that intro for the podcast, I always say it with you. I've heard it so many times. I could say it exactly like you. <laughs> oh, great. If we ever need uh, some voiceover talent, I'll, um, I'll give you a call. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, so, Jade, great to be here with you. Can you uh, introduce yourself to the, the folks at home? Like, yeah, How would you like to uh, describe who you are and what you do? Yeah, so um, I am a Pilates instructor. Um, I'm from Bendigo, which is about an hour and a half from Melbourne. Um, But at the moment, I actually live in LA. um, And I'm studying my diploma of clinical Pilates with Breathe Education. Um, Yeah. All right. And um, let's just sort of briefly touch on the genesis of this topic, because we're going to talk about diet culture in Pilates, and actually, this came from you. So, um, yeah, tell me, tell me, uh, or you know, rem- let's reminisce for a second about yeah. how this how this topic came to be. Uh, how for me? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. So, well, uh, basically, you know, how you, why you thought this is important, think this is an important topic to discuss, and and basically how you pitched it to me, also. Okay. Um, well, I think it's something that's affected me my entire life. I'm 30. And I think in the past, if anyone mentioned diet culture or fat phobia, I would roll my eyes and say, well, that's not a thing. But I think in recent years, um, overcoming eating disorders myself and putting on weight, I've just and become more aware and more educated um, and also becoming a Pilates instructor as well and s- witnessing things. It's like a whole number of things is added to it. And I think you were asking on if anyone had um, ideas for Pilates Elephants episodes and I just thought it was a great one because you ha- did have that awesome um, episode on body image, but um, actually talking about the culture that's within the fitness industry, I think was important to talk about. Okay, so this is less, you know, so the the your thoughts about this are, you know, less focused on body image per se, and more focused on the the diet culture aspect of that. Yes, yeah, exactly. 
All right. So, what do you what do you uh, what do you mean by diet culture? So, the definition of diet culture is the widespread belief that appearance and the way your body looks is more important than your physical, psychological, and general well being. So, it's normalizing disordered eating habits, which is limiting what and how much you eat. And for some people too, um, exercise can be a way of purging. So, you know, it's celebrating when people are, you know, over-exercising as well, whereas it's not really healthy. But that's just the culture within the fitness industry that um, looking thin is more important above all. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's kind of um, it's kind of a it's kind of the dark side of you know exercise. Now you know we we regularly sing the praises of exercise on this show, and exercise is freaking amazing. You know for your mental and physical well being. But uh, you know, like any like anything, I guess you know the dose makes the poison. And uh, if you're approaching it in a way that is sort of self-punishment or, you know, paying for your, you know, meal that you had last night or, um, you know, purely focused on changing your appearance uh, in, a, in, a, in an obsessive way um, that can negatively affect mental and physical health. Is that, is, have I captured it? Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, there's this uh, author, Tally Rye, um, the way she puts it is she asked the question, if exercise didn't change the way your body looked, then how would you exercise? Which question. I think is really powerful because then it's about like how the movement makes you feel and it's not about trying to get slimmer or more muscle. Wow. I, th- I think that is such a great quote and I hope you'll share that with uh, that author, that link with me and I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, yes, all so right, her so book's is called – oh, sorry. Go ahead. What's the book I'll called? just tell you now. Her book's called Train Happy, which I've just read. And, um, yeah, I think that book's really powerful because, yeah, it's about – she leads you through intuitive exercise. So finding exercise that you actually like doing, you're not doing it to punish your body, which I'm sure everyone listening, everyone loves Pilates anyway. I'm sure we all do it more for just – changing our body which is great but uh, for a lot of people um you know they're going to the gym just to punish themselves Mm. so all right so diet culture you know i mean well i mean you kind of alluded to i mean and we've already talked a little bit about you know pilates or exercise in general can be used as kind of self-punishment or you know, really kind of a tool to kind of, you know, basically try and change your appearance. Well, you know, how does that relate to diet? Because if today's topic is diet culture, why, you know, why is that relevant to Pilates? Um, I think because a lot of um, language that's used in Pilates and also the way Pilates is marketed as well, um, like I'm sure we've all heard the um, – no excuses or you need to earn your do this to earn your dinner or sweat is your fat crying um which is 
ridiculous. Or I've had someone say to me before, this exercise is going to carve out your abs. You're going to have washboard abs. Mm. But why are you assuming that I want washboard abs? (laughs) Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, that offends me, but also actually what offends me more about that claim is it's not fucking true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, I actually, I wanted just to, while it's, Something's re- made me remember. I went to a class not long ago here in LA. Um, it was a Legree class, which oh, yeah. Legree is like Pilates on steroids. It's like a reformer, but it's it's just bigger, and um, they like to make the movements all slow. So we're doing lunges or something, and the instructor comes over to me and says, "You need to do it slower because if you do it slow, you'll have long, lean muscles. Um, if you do it too fast, you're going to bulk up, and you don't want to bulk up." And I was thinking, <sighs> um, actually, I do like <laughs> having muscles, but I didn't say it. But I, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, it, well, it's physiologically like factually incorrect. <laughs> for a start, oh. it's just not true. <laughs> But yep. also like this, the notion of like actually the the word, you know, the phrase bulk up, you know, to me is kind of quite loaded with value judgments about whether that's a good or bad thing. Like it implies that it's a bad thing, you know, if, I think in the context of saying it to a female. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, the word tone, you know, is, is not only acceptable uh, to most people in Pilates, but it's very... It's like it's a it's a it's a magnetic word, you know. If you use it in your in your on your website or whatever, you know, will help you tone. Um, but you know, you would never see on a Pilates website, you know, like you know, come and do Pilates to bulk up your you know X Y Z muscle or whatever. It's like, but really, like from a exercise physiological standpoint, you know, when you are when you work a muscle and you strengthen a muscle, it gets bigger. You know, like that's that's what happens yeah. when, you, when you strengthen muscles, and so bulk is actually an accurate description of what happens when you know when you um, strengthen muscles. But it's like it's not an aesthetic description. It's just like it's a literal, you know, physically that's what happens when you strengthen a muscle. It gets bigger, and so the notion of toning actually doesn't actually have a physical doesn't describe any process that actually happens in the body. It's just an aesthetic. God, it's like, it's a euphemism, you know, it's like when we, when we want to say something that, that is a little bit sensitive and we want to use a softer word for it, we use, a, we use another word like a euphemism, mm-hmm. like instead of saying someone died, we say they passed away. Yeah. Um, and so instead of saying, you know, you will make your muscles bigger, we say you will tone your muscles, you know, it, it, it doesn't actually mean anything just like passing away is not an actual thing. It's just a kind of a. It's a, not even a metaphor. It's it's just a a softer word that you know softens the impact of of what you're saying. So, um, all right, sorry, I went off on a tangent. Oh, on that, I actually just want to say um, it is it's only possible for us to gain a certain amount of muscle mass per year as well. I think for women, it's really small. It's like I don't know the exact number. I think it was like two point five kilograms or something, and that's if you're really pumping weights. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So I think that's, that is a really important, uh, thing to understand. And I, I'm glad you said that Jade, because, you know, when I said a minute ago, or oh, when you strengthen a muscle, it gets bigger. Like I don't want people to all of a sudden panic and go, Oh my God, you know, what if my muscles blow up to the size of, you know, 
<laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like you can't accidentally become like, look like a bodybuilder. Like bodybuilders work fucking hard and take a lot of performance enhancing drugs <laughs> to, yep. to look the but, way they look. Yeah, but yeah. it's not just the drugs. They have to really put in the hard work and right. be every day in the gym. Right. And you're not going to, you know, do a few calf raises on a reformer, you know, on three springs and then accidentally, you know, explode your calves up to twice their normal size. You know, it's like that's <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a thing. <laughs> um, all right, so 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 a lot of the kind of terminology that we use in Pilates uh, to describe the benefits of the exercise and also just to describe people's bodies uh, sort of is shared with diet culture. Is that that's what you're saying? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and so. And so, you know, does this relate to fat phobia? Yeah, so I did want to talk about that. So um, fat phobia is basically an irrational fear or aversion to or discrimination against obesity or people with obesity. So it's like I've seen a lot. I don't know if it just comes up in my algorithm, but I've seen a lot lately of bigger people complaining when they go to a doctor, the doctor always just instantly says, well, you need to lose weight. But they're there for, say, you know, something unrelated. So, you know, if someone bigger is coming to your party studio, you're just instantly assuming they're there to lose weight. But they might not be. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a huge thing in Pilates, even like I'm struggling with my own fat phobia. Really. We all have internalized fat phobia a little bit. Like, you know, if you're looking at yourself thinking, I want to lose weight just for aesthetic reasons, that's fat phobia. It's not for your health, is it? Mm. So, um, I mean, you know, when you say that, I mean, it seems, seems pretty obvious to me. Like it, I, my Instagram feed is like chock-a-block full of Pilates, uh, you know, exercises and, you know, 99.9% of it are like very slender people, you know, mostly women, but, you know, a few guys in there as well. But, you know, basically uh, the – the it's funny, like I actually think about this fairly regularly because – there are people who I follow who, you know, have a big following on Instagram and, and they're basically like their channel is uh, demonstrating Pilates exercises in exotic locations. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, watching them do Pilates, like I, I often uh, admire, you know, like I admire people who move gracefully. I admire people who, you know, are skilled at, you know, doing movement. Um, and, but, but when, um, for, for, for several of those people, when I see them, sometimes they put up a photo. It's like, Oh, here's me on my birthday with my husband or, you know, here's me out to dinner with my friends or whatever. And you look and I, and I look at them, I think, gee, you're so kind of tall and skinny. <laughs> like, like, yeah. yeah. Like how somebody looks when they're doing exercise, you know, often to me, it's like, it make they look quite in my mind quite normal, um, but but when when they kind of you know are out of out of the Pilates context and not wearing active wear or whatever they're just wearing normal 
everyday clothes, all of a sudden I'm struck by like how like unusually thin they are. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that seems to me, and it's like in my mind, there's even this kind of like, there's a specific body type that I'm thinking of and I don't, I've got no science on this. So this is just my personal observation. Uh, and this is not in any way a criticism of these people. You know, it's like, I don't want to criticize people for their body shape. If that body shape happens to be tall and thin, it's like, well, <laughs> you don't choose your genetics. Um, yeah. Um, but, but it seems to be like, you know, I follow half a dozen women who've got like multiple tens or even hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram and their, their channel is basically just them doing Pilates in front of a pool or on a beach or wherever. And it's like, they've got these enormously long legs, incredibly thin, long legs, like legs longer than my whole body seems like. And, 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 you know, they managed to, you know, all of them managed, you know, managed to make Pilates look effortless and beautiful and graceful and all of those things. But um, yeah, it's just kind of quite a weird uh, thing. It's like they certainly don't have a body shape that would fit in the middle of the bell curve of like human body shapes. You know, they're they're far towards one edge of the distribution of you know height, weight, leg length, whatever. Yeah, so I think that's that's interesting. Have do you notice that as well, or is that just me? Yeah, yeah. I think definitely when people think Pilates, they think skinny white woman. Yeah, now you mention it, actually, all of these women yeah. are, are white. Yep. Which I did just want to say that um, fat phobia and diet culture did actually stem from racism and sexism. Um, I don't, I'm not really fully educated on that yet because I've just started reading two books about it. It's so interesting to me. Um, but basically, it, it it never started about health. This was before the, um, you know, the fat epidemic. Um, it's all about the phobia of being fat and it was used to craft and legitimate race, sex and class hierarchies. And I guess it's just all evolved from there. Huh. Well, you know, I'm, I'm like profoundly ignorant on these topics as well, but I'm going to share a, my profoundly ignorant opinion and I'm, I'm, I would be delighted to be corrected by anyone out there who's got a more informed opinion. Um, and you can uh, reach me by link in the show notes. Um, but I read something, uh, just a post on social media a few months back that said, oh, Pilates is such a white form of exercise. And I thought, oh, I wonder what they mean by that. And then I'd read the, you know, some of the details and it said, oh, basically, you know, it makes you look like you've got a carrot up your butt. You know, because it's all about sitting up perfectly straight and having your knees straight and your toes pointed. And it's, you know, it's, and I thought, like, uh, it kind of reminds me, like, when done like that, you know, when done like a perfect, everything's perfect straight lines, it kind of reminds me of ballet and, you know, gymnastics. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not, not criticizing ballet or gymnastics. I love watching dancers and gymnasts. I think, you know, they move very beautifully, but they move, you know, like it's this very kind of, carried up the butt sort of, you know, way of moving. It's not what you'd call funky, you know. Yeah. Um, and I thought, huh, that is like, now you put it like that, it is kind of a really fucking white way of, of moving. <laughs> yeah. James, James Brown would never do Pilates like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It's, but yeah, Pilates is just, it's connected to the ballet and the, graceful and the thin body still 
yeah, I think it's starting to change and evolve. So, all right. So, so, I mean, you know, I mean, maybe people listening to this are already 10,000% on board with this. Um, maybe not, I don't know, but, um, yeah. so, all right. So why is it, why shouldn't we care, you know, about these things? Why shouldn't, about- you know, why shouldn't we worry about being fat or, you know, what size your waist is or whatever? Well, because the how fat you are isn't really a good indicator for your health. Um, as um, you taught me, um, if you're doing enough exercise alone, um, that's a better indicator of your health than what size you are. Um, and I think a lot of people use... Um, as an argument that, you know, if you're fat, you're going to get diabetes or you're going to have a heart attack. But really, if you're doing enough cardio, um, is it something like um, you reduce the mortality of diabetes, is it 39%, something like that, um, but for the next 10 years and um, cardiovascular disease mortality by 60%. So, and that's, that's, like mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the specific percentages, but um, I do recall uh, the one number that I do recall is that um, if you meet the physical activity guidelines, which is 150 minutes of moderate intensity cardio or 75 minutes of vigorous cardio plus two to three resistance training sessions every week, uh, and uh, if you do that on a regular basis, uh, you reduce your chance of dying by any cause of by you know, a bit under 50%. Um, almost 50% in any cause in the next 10 years. So that's pretty freaking amazing. Um, and there are there are several studies that find, um, that have found that uh, obesity, in particularly abdominal obesity, so like waist circumference, is correlated with, uh, you know, multiple sort of negative health outcomes and particularly like increasing chance of dying early. But the vast majority of those studies actually don't account for exercise. So they look at people who are overweight, people who are not overweight, and they see, you know, which ones die first, but they don't take account of people who exercise. And and then there are a few studies that uh, do measure exercise. And what they find is uh, people who are overweight who exercise are basically no more likely to die or get particular diseases than people who are, you know, regular weight who exercise. And so it seems to be that fitness is more important than fatness as a measure of health, like you're saying. Yeah, and I think that's so powerful. Like I've spent, ever since I learned that, I've spent weeks just like obsessing over it and it's just like, as you say, a brain-exploding emoji. I think it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right, so so we've got this kind of, uh, you know, probably, you know, to a significant degree, mistaken belief or sort of association between fatness and ill health, where in, rela- in reality it's more a correlation between unfitness and ill health. Now, you know, the, the thing is that often unfitness and fatness go together, but larger people who exercise actually don't have those, you know, the vast majority of those negative health benefits. So we probably need to decouple those things in our mind of yeah, just looking at someone's body shape doesn't actually tell you much about their physical health. Exactly. And there's 
a lot of other things that contribute to someone's size. Just because someone's big, it doesn't mean that they're lazy and they eat too much. Um, um, particularly for women, hormones play a huge role. Um, certain medications like antidepressant birth control make you put on weight and you can't control that by diet and exercise. And certain um, chronic illnesses um, like PCOS and endium, I always can't pronounce it, endometriosis. Endometriosis. <laughs> yes, it's just a tongue twister for me. Um, <laughs> so things like that. Um, yeah, some like, I guess, um, and for instance, myself on, if you look at, we know the BMI, um, scale is total crap by now, but I mean, doctors still use it. And by the BMI, I'm actually considered overweight, but I eat really well now and I exercise a lot. Um, I get enough sleep every night. Like, I'm a healthy person. Yeah, BMI, body mass index, is a person's uh, weight in kilograms divided by their height squared in metres, I think. Uh, And basically, if uh, you're in between 18 and 24, that's considered a healthy weight. Below 18 is considered underweight, and 25 or above is considered overweight, and 30 or above is considered obese. And uh, BMI is... Uh, you know, pretty much the standard measure that most uh, population level uh, researchers use, at, you know, for weight and uh, obesity. Um, and on a population level, it probably is, you know, a fairly decent um, measurement, you know, for two reasons. One, it's just really easy <laughs> to measure. Like you just measure someone's height and weight and, you know, divide one by the other. So that's really easy to get. And if you if you want to measure the... Uh, you know, the body composition of like a million people and you're a sort of public health researcher, it's really hard to sort of get a million people in a DEXA scanner or, you know, MRI machine or whatever to measure their actual, you know, body fatness and muscle, you know, mass and whatever. But it's really easy to put a measuring tape around someone's waist or stick someone on a pair of scales and then measure their height. Um, That's much easier to do. So we tend to use it because it's convenient. And on a population level, if you look at a million people, um, well, on average, the people who have a higher BMI do tend to have higher body fat, um, and they do tend to also, you know, die earlier. But when you look at individuals, it becomes a really basically a not a useful measure because, uh, like you kind of alluded to, Jade, people who have actually muscle tissue, you know, by 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 volume is is heavier, more dense than fat tissue, so. Somebody who is uh, muscular and has very low body fat actually can have a high BMI and can be considered overweight or obese according to BMI, even though they've got very low body fat. And so it's BMI is a terrible measure for people who are athletic or you know have significant muscle mass. Uh, and also, it doesn't take account of fitness, like we said before. And but you know, if if you look at a population level at a, you know say a million people, well, on average, the people who have higher BMI tend to be less fit, right? So you can make generalizations as a public health kind of uh, official and going, okay, do we need more hospitals or do we need more diabetes medications or whatever for, you know, for, for the population? It's okay. Well, if we've got more people who have got a high BMI, yeah, we probably do need more hospitals or whatever. But for an individual, 
you know, saying, oh, you've got a BMI of X doesn't take account of whether that person's fit. So it doesn't tell you really much about the health status at all. And also doesn't even tell you whether that person's muscular or fat. So really BMI as an individual measure is, like you say, basically useless. Well, yeah, and that's actually me. I'm, you know, when I do those body composite um, measurements where it tells you a rough estimate of your fat percentage and muscle, I actually have a higher than average muscle percentage. So I assume that's why my BMI is higher because I have a lot of muscle as well. Yeah. Um, Wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. So, So, all right, so... What, you know, how do we start to decouple this, you know, the, the, this, these no, this notion of fat phobia and, and, you know, focusing on becoming skinnier and, you know, not bulking up and, you know, so how, how do we, and, and, you know, like you said at the start, the, the kind of unhealthy obsession, you know, with exercise, how do we, how do we start to change that? I think, first of all, educating ourselves. So, you know, reading books. When you know better, you do better. Um, and definitely the way we market ourselves and the language that we use in the studio. So, and not assuming that someone's coming to a class to change the shape of their body. So, uh, and, you know, I've been guilty of this in the past. Um, but, you know, using things like, hey, everyone, this exercise will really tone your thighs or this will flatten your tummy or that kind of thing. Yes. I have definitely also been guilty of that. Um, but, yeah, exactly. Like I think that's one that's definitely used a lot is around building your booty. Like you can still do like exercises that work that muscle, um, which is going to be a great workout, but you don't need to say um, – this is going to build your booty because, like, like, what about would you, Raph, as a man, would you, <laughs> would you want someone to say to you, "Let's build your booty"? Like, not everyone <laughs> wants that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually, I, you know, I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't be offended by it from an aesthetic perspective because yeah. I would know that just doing a couple of classes with clams or lunges or whatever isn't going to suddenly make my butt bigger. But um, but I would kind of dislike it because I would think like, well, why do we have to focus on one fucking muscle? Can't we just work all the muscles? Yes, exactly. Like let's get out of our bodies and just focus on teaching movement rather than, um, you know, giving someone an anatomy class and talking about all their muscle groups. Isn't it funny, like I had a chat with Aidan O'Sullivan on the show a few weeks back uh, and we, he was interested in talking about Pilates and how, how it, all of the kind of, sort of paradigms it has inherited from bodybuilding, um, which I also find fascinating because my first sort of fitness training, I was trained by a bodybuilder. Like I've, I've never been a bodybuilder, but like when I learned to be a personal trainer like two and a half decades ago, the, the guy who trained me was a former Mr. Australia uh, bodybuilder. And so basically, you know, when he taught us how to be personal trainers, he was teaching us how to do bodybuilding training. You know, you isolate a muscle and you want to make this muscle bigger, but you don't want to make the muscle next door to it bigger because you want to create some kind of particular symmetry or shape in the body part, you know. So it's all about, you know, sculpting the body to a certain shape because that's what bodybuilding is. 
And so, and and it's it struck me for a long time that that is like that is kind of like how I think the majority of per- personal trainers and probably the majority of Pilates instructors kind of view exercise as it's a, as it like it's a form of body sculpting. You're like you're you know you're working this muscle because you want a flatter tummy, and you're working this other muscle because you want a perkier butt, and you don't want to do too much work on your calves because you don't want them to get too big. And you know so it's it's like you know, choosing which muscles to work and how hard to work them based on the goal of, you know, changing the the silhouette of your body, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I used to be really into bodybuilding myself. So I do get it. And, you know, you do have set days, you know, you're working on your, on your chest one day and quads another day, but I guess Pilates isn't that really. You don't go to a class and go, yes, I'm, I want to train my quads today. It's really meant to be a whole body workout. Yeah, well, that's how Joseph envisioned it. In fact, he he specifically says in his book, you know, don't focus on this or that pet set of, of muscles, you know, rather focus on the uniform development of the body as a whole. And I really like that philosophy. Yeah. Well, if Joseph said it, then, you know, it must be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, you know, I think we both agree that's not true. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was sarcasm. <laughs> but, but I think he, I think he was, I think he was onto something in that, in that particular <laughs> instance. Yeah. Um, it's funny, isn't it, that like, uh, you know, Joseph was so, you know, in several, like if you read his book, Return to Life Through Controlology, um, which is the textbook for our certification in Pilates, uh, it, it, he never once mentions the name of a muscle in relation to like which muscles, you know, you should activate or anything like that. Never uses the word activate. You know, I think once or twice, um, I think in the side bend, he, you know, in one of the cautions at the bottom, like the sort of PSs at the bottom, he says, oh, by the way, you know, this is good for the, for the waist or something like that. Um, or good for the arm. I can't remember one or, one or the other. But basically, he he never mentions specific muscles ever. He doesn't mention even the word like abdominals or rectus. Certainly not rectus abdominis, obliques, transversus. You know, core. You know, it doesn't mention any of that stuff. Certainly never. You know, tells you that an exercise is for a certain muscle. And he actually specifically recommends. A, doesn't recommend tells you, you know, tells you not to focus on, you know, quote, this or that pet set of muscles. So we get from Joseph, you know, from that in 1945 or whenever he published uh, Return to Life to, you know, fast forward, you know, 70 years and it now Pilates is all about focusing on this or that pet set of muscles. It's like, how did we, how did we get here? Yeah. And didn't, um, in you know, Cage Lion, didn't um, John say in that book that Joseph told him he made those exercises so to make people better at sex? That's <laughs> <laughs> what he wrote. Uh... <laughs> um, but yeah, how did that? How did Pilates turn into that? I think it came from bodybuilding, you know, okay. and I think it also came from physiotherapy because, like, in the kind of early 2000s and late 90s when when sort of contemporary Pilates was, you know, getting it to start. 
you know, they incorporated a lot of stuff from physiotherapy and, and that was all about kind of isolating muscles in the early stages of rehab. Like in the, in the year 2000 or so, you know, all the sort of current physiotherapy research was all about like isolating transversus abdominis and isolating multifidus and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, that kind of got infused into Pilates and then also, you know, exercise science, which, you know, in, in a lot of people's minds is kind of the same thing as bodybuilding training, although in reality it's not. Uh, I think also got infused into Pilates a lot at that stage. And so we kind of had, I think we gained these concepts of kind of sculpting the body and, the, you know, for aesthetic reasons and also of activating muscles for, you know, kind of rehabilitative uh, reasons. Uh, and and that has now just kind of set into the the mix, you know, it's kind of like infused in and sort of hard to separate it out again, you know, from it become totally entangled with what, how people view Pilates. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So I want to have a little chat uh, about something that you mentioned off air, which is uh, fitness challenges. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. So tell, tell me your thoughts on fitness challenges. And I think we might uh, have a cordial disagreement on this one, <laughs> but yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. Uh, well, first of all, I've, um, you know, been done a lot of fitness challenges and loved them. Um, but I think just in recent times, I've learnt more and I feel, I believe that they're really problematic. Um, in particular, those like eight week fitness challenges where it's like you've given a diet plan or even just you've got to do this amount of classes. Um, I think it's problematic because it's not sustainable because after that eight weeks or like 12 weeks or 40 days, whatever it is, how many people are going to continue to do that amount of training and follow that diet for the rest of their lives. I'm pretty sure most people just go back to like, well, there's no support for afterwards. Right. And, and the research agrees with you there, Jade, that basically, uh, you know, when you lose weight fast, you tend to put it back on again, just as fast. Um, and people who, you know, go hard end up at fitness, um, for a short time, you know, one, they increase risk of injury and two, it's not sustainable for most people. Well, yeah, encouraging people to go from like nothing to 100, you know, without rest time. If you're not used to that amount of exercise then and you're not resting, then, yeah, increasing risk of injuries. And there is heaps of evidence on diets that basically they're good in the short term, but almost everyone gains the weight back afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so all right, so so far, actually, I'm in furious agreement with you um, that uh, you know when some when you when you've got some kind of like you know almost biggest loser style you know challenge that's all about if, particularly if it's focused on losing weight um, through a combination of exercise and diet, um, they can be very effective in the short term, but basically not sustainable for the vast majority of people in in the long term. Uh, but I guess I see it as it, there is also it, that's not the only kind of face of fitness challenges. And I think like there's a, there's a less extreme 
version. Um, so I'm thinking of, you know, basically as, as humans, you know, we all have this desire to solve our problems uh, with, with very little effort or time expended. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. We, we all want we all want the quick, easy solution that doesn't that's not not in any way inconvenient for us. Um, and so, if you tell me that I can you know get healthy and strong in six weeks, I'm like, oh, that sounds you know that sounds emotionally doable. You know, whereas if you say, well, you've exercised a lifetime habit and you're going to have to commit to it forever, I'm like, oh, that <laughs> sounds really fucking hard. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so if you get me in the door for six weeks because that feels doable to me, and then it at the end of six weeks, I'm feeling a lot better and you can resell me on another six weeks. And then you just do that every six weeks for the rest of my life. Well, it's kind of a psychological hack to, you know, to get people that can actually get people going. Like I actually use this when I'm running, uh, cause running for me, uh, is yeah, kind of uncomfortable. And I know a lot of people have the same <laughs> experience. It's like, it's kind of like pain, but pleasure at the same time. But you know, so I often say to myself, like, oh, I, I'm, I might stop now. And I'm like, no, no, just just do another 500 meters, you know, run run up to that rock or whatever. And I get to the rock and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll run to the next rock, you know. And it's some part of my brain knows that I'm just tricking myself, that I'm actually going <laughs> to run, you know, another five kilometers. But somehow just saying, oh, I'll just do another 500 meters and then you can stop somehow that works. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I think that, you know, the six week challenge or whatever, uh, if done in a less extreme format and if not focused on, you know, crash dieting and all the rest of it, but if just focused on like, okay, here's a six week, you know, block of fitness activities that is kind of got a defined end time. So it's like, it feels emotionally doable come and get into exercise for six weeks and you'll feel a lot better, stronger and more flexible and have more energy and all the rest of it. And when six weeks rolls around, you're like, oh, why not do another six weeks? Like, what do you think about that? Do you think there's a place for that? Well, first of all, just with the running, there's actually a run app that's amazing for that. You put in your details to begin with and like how far you you can run at the moment and it tailors the program so that it never pushes you too far and it and it gives you little like um, encouragements in your ear and it will tell you to rest so it doesn't it stops you from having the ability to pushing too far um, it's amazing I'll definitely have to share that with you yeah, um, but I cool. think with the challenges it's again it's assuming that you're there to lose weight and focusing on changing your body and I think too it can be triggering for people um it's triggering for me um having had eating disorders like uh, you know what actually goes on in my head I'm sure is for a lot of people is oh everyone's doing that I should be doing that I need to exercise way more Mm -hmm. like that is actually what thoughts that come into my head and I think also too, because exercise is a form of purging for a lot of people. Um, what it does is like there's a Pilates studio that does the um, 20 classes in 40 days. And when I worked at that studio, I saw people doing double classes, like yeah. two in a row, and they were physically, because they're trying to make the, 
20 classes and they're physically exhausted after the first one. You can tell they really shouldn't be doing the next one, but they're trying to make the number for the challenge. And I don't think that's healthy. Mm. No, I agree with you. And I also, I think, all right, so it struck me as you were just uh, sharing that, that so maybe it's it's the the main issue with uh, the challenges as you're framing it is actually kind of how we we sort of morally elevate like the the sort of no pain no gain mindset or yes. it's it's like you know hard work is a virtue and and you know moderation is laziness. Yeah, and no rest days. Um, oh my god, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, um, so so all right. So while while your uh, while your brain's um, doing the spinning wheel of death. Um, <laughs> so all right. So if if I if I ran a challenge and it was not focused on uh, changing your body shape, so it was just focused on like getting more energy, doing a full push up you know, uh, like functional outcomes. Uh, and if it was, uh, didn't, it wasn't about like, you know, flogging yourself for six weeks. It was about creating a sustainable exercise habit for six weeks. Would you have a problem with that? And if so, what? Uh, I guess if it was individualized, like say, um, then that's really good. Like say, I'm, we'll just use myself and his example, say um, I want to hold a plank for 60 seconds and I can't already. So maybe that could be the goal, but obviously some people can already. So I think again, all of our bodies are different and we're going to have different goals. Um, and I've just remembered what I was going to say before is, um, oh my God, it's gone again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm going to write it down. You Next time it comes uh, to me, I'll write it while you're talking. happens to me all the time. You know, like uh, in the morning when I get up, I, you know, I have, I stumble out to the coffee machine. Well, I don't stumble. I walk joyfully towards the coffee machine and, yeah, make myself a nice coffee and I sit on the sofa and I think and I look at my list of ideas of things that I've got for Instagram posts because that's when I make my Instagram post first thing in the morning. And, you know, I kind of think about life and maybe I listen to some music or whatever and, and, you know, ideas fly into my head and I think, oh, that's an awesome idea. That's what I'll do for my post. And then at the, like hot on the heels of that thought comes like, I should make a note of that, you know, so I, I capture it and don't forget. And I'm like, ah, I won't forget that. And literally five minutes later, I'm like, fuck, what was that idea? <laughs> oh, like, I, I do that a million times a day. <laughs> Uh, um, so I don't know how many more hundreds of times I'm going to have to do that before I learn my lesson. <laughs> yeah, I have just thought of something else though. Um, on individualizing it, I think that's a great idea because um, you know it could maybe be on an app on their phone or something. It might be um, you know celebrated that they've done five classes, say, rather mm -hmm. than doing it in a in a time period. Um, and yeah, I just think it's really triggering to do these like challenges for people and it, and it can create disordered habits. So it's the, it's the, all right. So it's the 
it's it's is it the combination of like it's a sprint, not a marathon? You know, so it's yeah. like you know, let's go hard for X number of days or weeks. Uh, combined with it's about it's focused on changing body shape, uh, and uh, you know, so 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 is it is the combination of those things that is the kind of the real, you know, crux of the problem? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. And I think we all are at different stages of fitness as well. So, you know, why are you putting everyone on the exact same program right. when, like, say I'm, I've am i been doing Pilates for ages, whereas someone else that's just started has never done it in their life. So they probably want to have some more rest days in between, start slower, whereas I could do Pilates for four hours a day and I'm fine. Yes. It's, you know... Yes. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, all right. So, um, you know, I guess uh, I'm a little bit disappointed that we're not disagreeing. <laughs> uh, I convinced you. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if I, if I feel convinced. I just feel like actually when we talked it through, we kind of both had the same point of view. In, in the, in yeah, the yeah. Or maybe you've done such yeah. an amazing job of convincing me that I thought, oh, no, that was that was what I thought all along. <laughs> and I just want to say, obviously, businesses need to make money. And for a lot, that can be, you know, a way to bring people in. But I think we need to think bigger and out of the box. Like, it's a bit of a cop-out to, you know, um, sell something based on someone's insecurities, like that they want to lose weight. I think we can think better bringing clients into this studio. All right. Well, maybe I'm going to have another go at disagreeing with you here and see how we yeah. go. Um, all <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I am a proponent. So you know, this is some, this is an area I haven't, you know, like the, the, the body dysmorphia, diet culture, eating disorders, this is an area I haven't thought about as deeply as I have thought about, say, injury rehabilitation. So I, I, I have a much less strongly held view in this area and I'm open to any, you know, convincing. Um, but, you know, thinking about, say, injury rehab, um, you know, my view there is, uh, and we've got kind of a, a, a parallel situation where basically a lot of people come in with a sore back uh, for example, and they say, I, I want to strengthen my core and improve my posture because, you know, and by implication, they think those things will solve their back pain. The reality is those things won't solve their back pain any more than any other form of exercise. There's no magic, nothing magic about strengthening your core or improving your posture. Uh, and so I do, in that case, I actually advocate giving them core strengthening exercises because not because core strengthening exercises have any particular physical efficacy, but rather because we know that when someone expects an exercise to help their pain, the exercise is more likely to help their pain. And so if someone comes in and says, I want to strengthen my core to improve my back pain, rather than me going, oh, that's bullshit, you know, core strengthening is not a thing, just do normal exercise, I would, I would advocate saying, oh, okay, great. Well, let's strengthen your core. I think that'll really help your back pain. Uh, and it's basically what I call Pilates jujitsu. It's kind of using their sort of incorrect beliefs for their own benefit. Uh, and, you know, or, you know, other people would call it like 
giving them what they want so you can give them what they need. Like if I, if my advertising was like, Hey, I won't help you strengthen your core because core strengthening doesn't help back pain any better than anything else. I would never get to work with those people and I wouldn't get to give them what they actually need, which is probably just more general exercise and building up their self-efficacy and reducing their fear of movement. So, you know, if we apply that, you know, th- and, and smart and well-intentioned people, you know, do disagree with me on that. <laughs> so I'm not saying I'm a hundred percent right. I'm saying that's my point of view. Um, but, uh, you know, if we kind of transpose that to, you know, this conversation about diet culture and fitness challenges, you know, I think, well, if somebody's sitting at home feeling, you know, physically and emotionally bad, you know, like they're feeling like they've got aches and pains, they're tired, they're stiff, they feel sluggish, they feel weak, you know, and they also are beating themselves up for those things and thinking, oh, I'm, you know, so lazy, I should get my act together, I should be more motivated, blah, blah, blah. They're thinking all of those things and then they, you know, they look in the mirror and they don't like what they see, you know, and then they... I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the maybe it's the looking in the mirror that is the the one the straw that breaks the camel's back for them. And it's like you know of the ninety nine things that are irritating them about not being active. You know that's the one thing that's they're like oh bugger it I'm going to do something about this. And so they they look up you know I don't, I don't know I'm kind of digging a hole here for myself and I'm not even agreeing with what I'm saying. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I guess uh, all right so. <laughs> Uh, I guess I guess what I'm I guess what I'm saying is like do you believe there's a place for giving people what they want so that you can give them what they need? Um, I know what you're saying, but I think if we stop marketing Pilates as sculpting your body, it will slowly change. Yeah, I, you know what I agree yeah. with you. <laughs> Yeah, and oh, again, there was something else I was going to say. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so and making people feel safe and comfortable to come into the studio, no matter what you look like. So I do want to say um, Heath Studio, White Dog, if you look at their website, they like I feel like anyone would feel comfortable going there, whatever age, whatever size they always they say things like we don't care what active wear you're wearing because um, really you're not going to – doesn't matter what active wear you're wearing, you're still going to get a good workout. So I think um, that's a really good way to get people to come in, making them feel safe. Yeah, and why couldn't – I mean, if you're going to advertise a six-week challenge, I mean, why not advertise it around get your first push-up or, you know, yeah. get more energy or – Learn, you know, touch your toes for the first time in a decade or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think that does. Yeah, if you're going to do that, it would have to be individualized because we all have different bodies and different goals. Um, but I think also too, we're Pilates instructors, and nowhere in our course did we learn about weight loss. We get taught the repertoire and a little bit of anatomy but we're teaching people movement. We're not teaching them how to actually change their bodies. All right, let's talk about that because I, <laughs> I I agree um, strongly with what you've said there. Uh, and I think it's rampant in uh, 
especially in the fitness industry, like personal trainers are just fucking out of control with recommending supplements and, you know, diets and, and shit, which they have no expertise or scope of practice to do. Uh, but I think it's also, it also is a thing in Pilates. It's, my perception is it's less of a thing in Pilates than it is in personal training. Um, but, you know, that's just looking at my Instagram feed. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so where do you see that happening and uh, how do you see it as being a problem? I think particular a lot of studios over the holiday periods post like swap this for that, um, how yeah, to so eat. Swap out yeah. uh, this food for that food. Yeah, a lot of studios still do that. And why? Like you're not a dietitian or a nutritionist. You're not really qualified to be posting that, especially if you have a lot of followers. You've got, yeah. um, you know, a lot of um, what's the word, like um, reach. So yeah. it's really important. You have a responsibility. That's the word. Mm. There, You know, you've got a responsibility to – um, stay in your scope of practice. So, I mean, yeah, so that's – we're taught to teach movement, so I think we should just stick to movement. 100% agree. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, dietary advice is 100% certainly outside the scope of practice of a Pilates instructor and also of a fitness trainer. Yep. Um, and we just shouldn't be, you know, <laughs> commenting on <laughs> on diet. It's just not, not part of the skill set of uh, – Pilates instructor, uh, and also weight loss is actually not part yeah. of the skill set of a Pilates instructor. It's not. Yeah, exactly. Or um, and we also don't get taught um, bodybuilding or like you know to isolate ex um, muscles or things like that. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Funny, so can it? we just like stop that now? <laughs> well, what can we do? We teach people movement, you know. <laughs> here's here's, here's uh, a bunch of beautiful layers leading up to doing the twist snake or here's it's a nice exercise that feels good on your hips, legs in straps. Yeah. Great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think people get excited when they learn a movement that um, can appear really complicated but then you've taught it in layers and they do something like – so they do short spine for the first time. They're like, oh, my God, I'm on my shoulders. And, yeah, they feel like they've really accomplished something. Yeah. And then when when you uh, affirm them and point that out to them, they're like, huh, you couldn't do that a month ago. Now look at you go. Like that really yeah. brings people up as well. Yeah. And I also think, like, isn't that more likely to make people come back rather than, you know, like this um, class is going to – we're going to burn your booty like, wouldn't you be more likely to go back because your brain's being more stimulated and I guess you're staying in a more flow state as well because you're not focusing on your body parts. You're focusing on, like, learning movement. Okay. So if we, you know, just to kind of round out this conversation, if if we do want to, uh, you know, change our language and our focus so that we're not – um, you know, telling people this exercise is going to be for this particular body part or they should change the shape of this particular body part or whatever, um, you know, and yet we still want to, you know, motivate our clients and explain, you know, why, you know, what the benefit of this exercise is because that is that can be motivational for people to know like, well, why the hell are we doing this move? What's it for? <laughs> you know, you know, so so what do, what do I say instead of, 
hey, this one will, you know, tone your butt or this one will, you know, really give you a flat stomach? Like what do I say instead of that? Um, well, I guess it depends on the exercise, but, um, you know, you might say this is going to make you stronger or this is really good for your spine health, um, things like that, like more systemic rather than just the body part. This will make it easier to climb stairs. This will make it yeah. easier to get down onto the floor and get back up again. Yeah. This, will, um, this one This one looks really fucking cool when you can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and there is lots of benefits to exercise that aren't about changing the way you look, like heaps. Um it makes you live longer. Exercise literally makes you live longer. I think that's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, um, the list of benefits could stop there and it's basically that should be enough, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you described it as it's the closest thing to the elixir of life. Like, as you said, everyone wants a quick fix and – it can be free. You know, if you want to live longer, all you've got to do is exercise the recommended amount. Exercise is changes your life. Oh, I'm nice. so passionate. I just want everyone to exercise. Um, but on that, I, I did want to mention um, that TED Talk by Wendy Suzuki about how exercise or the benefits of exercise on your brain because I, I think it's like 10 minutes long but – I think it's really worth watching. I found that like brain exploding emoji like amazing as well. I I knew it was good for your brain, but um, there it's actually really good for your brain. Yeah, it's amazing. Like it actually, uh, and I don't think I've seen that TED talk, but I do know that exercise, you know, regular exercise over a lifetime sort of uh, is that has some degree of preventative benefit against dementia and you know, all kinds of other central nervous system things like Parkinson's and. Um, you know, a bunch of other things. Is that are those the main benefits that she talks about, or are there others? Um, and concentration and your focus. Mm. Um, yeah, and you better sleep. Mm. Um, that TED talk's actually in the diploma, so I reckon you would have seen it. I must have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that week in particular, I was just so fascinated. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty fucking awesome. I mean, really, it is. like. Exercise influences pretty much every possible aspect of human flourishing, uh, yep. whether it's from your mental health, your physical health, your gut health, digestion, your heart health, you know, like it, your your cognitive function, memory, uh, problem-solving ability, emotional control, um, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's the it's only thing no that really of- affects – yeah. Almost everything, yeah. Yeah, there's almost no aspect of human uh, existence that it doesn't impact in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we should focus on, yeah, feeling good and the other benefits of exercise because the other benefits, well, there's way more bigger effects from the um, the inside of your body, on it's- the inside of the body. Yeah. Isn't it funny though, like, so most of these benefits that we talked about, like heart health, longevity, mental, you know, health, um, you know, mental functioning, all that sleeping, et cetera, all, they're all kind of systemic, you know, exercise reduces systemic inflammation as well. So there's so many systemic benefits of exercise, but like, it seems to me that humans have got some kind of fascination with, you know, f- 
drawing a straight line between, you know, doing this one specific exercise and achieving this one specific benefit. So, you know, this exercise is good for your spleen and, you know, this exercise is good for your lungs and this exercise is good for your, you know, gluteus medius, posterior fibers, you know. So, you know, I, I think maybe we also need to just let go of the notion that there is a specific exercise to achieve a specific benefit and just embrace the, the the fact that just moving is fucking awesome and just move in a way that feels good to you and that therefore it's more likely to be sustainable and you're more likely to keep it up for the long term. Yeah, 100%. Like, let it go. There is no special exercise to achieve a special benefit, folks. Just yeah. get me <laughs> There's no magic... Um, equation or miracle exercise it's just yeah get moving and some movement is better than no movement and there's no one weird trick to get rid of belly fat either oh yeah that's a big one you see a lot on social media these exercises are going to give you a six-pack it's just not a thing and yeah like public service announcement people if you already know this i'm sorry for reiterating it for the millionth time but doing ab exercises won't give you a six pack. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's just like, it's not a true thing. Um, yeah. Having a six pack is related to how much body fat you have on top of your abs. It's not related to how many sit-ups you can do. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can have a no six pack and be able to hold a plank for four hours. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Have we missed anything, Jade? Um, no. Um, yeah, I think we covered a fair bit of ground for sure. So in summary, stop giving dietary advice. Yep. Uh, focus away from uh, appearance-based kind of benefits and focus towards health and functional Benefits of parties. Yeah. Um, and stop assuming that someone wants to lose weight. Right. Uh, stop, uh, you know, decouple the notion of uh, fatness from the notion of health because it's much more, uh, fitness is a much more important um, marker of health. Uh, and if you're going to run a fitness challenge, don't focus it on zero to a hundred in, you know, six weeks and don't focus it on losing weight or changing the shape of your body. Yep. hundred percent. Exactly. All right. And if you're a tall, leggy, skinny white woman, who's really good at Pilates, <laughs> like we still love you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Thanks Jade. Thank you. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. 
And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.